0: Hey, welcome back to the Silver Fortune Podcast. So I want to take some time today to talk about uh, a recent interview I did on my channel with Steve San Angelo of uh, srsroccoreport.com. Now, I love having Steve on uh, my channel. I've had him on a couple times now, and he always um, puts on a good show. What I mean by that is is he's a smart guy. He knows what he's talking about, and what he talks about is, is pretty unique in this space, namely the energy cliff and uh, a falling energy return on investment and and why that is pertinent to every single one of us uh human beings that live on this planet and and also why it's pertinent to those of us that are invested in precious metals or or are interested in investments as a whole now i encourage you to check out the interview i'll I'll leave a link down below in the description uh, of of this episode today uh it's over an hour long it's feature length i know some people like that um some people are not a fan of, of that long form content. I get it. Those people oftentimes aren't subscribed to my podcast, uh, in the first place, but, but it is feature length and it, it's a really great conversation. And, and, and essentially now I don't, now, I bring that up because I don't want to mischaracterize Steve's argument at all or his his viewpoints on things um, it, It's better to to hear sort of from the horse's mouth, I guess uh, with that being said to, to sum it up, essentially Steve believes that in the coming you know decade or so, we're heading towards an energy cliff uh, a cliff in which we see a rapid fall in energy return on investment and energy being so important to our daily lives. Uh, a, a, falling energy return on investment and thus more expensive energy, energy that is, you know, you can see it as more scarce, essentially. Um, but that obviously would have a huge impact on our lives on, on investments and assets and, and, and the like. Um, This, this EROI is already falling and it has been falling for quite some time now. And, and basically, you know, he, again, check out the interview, check out some of his work, but, but essentially he, he debunks and he talks about why the idea of an energy tooth fairy is just that, and that is a tooth fairy, that, that some way out of this falling EROI or some way around this energy cliff is simply not feasible. Not that there aren't ways out there. For example, I got a comment yesterday on the, the, the interview This is from Clarence Hoover. Quote, I am over halfway through this interview and haven't heard any mention of the prospects or reality of truly alternative energy generation and transmission solutions. Think outside our current boxed mindset, such as sci-fi world energy. I'm sure the military and their programs are well aware of energy technologies that make everything we use today seem absolutely primitive. The technology available to a select few is probably centuries ahead of what we peons have access to now. A new energy paradigm will shake off and supplant the big oil players and up in the current economic model. Talk about a grand disruptor if it is ever allowed to see the light of day. Now, in terms of advanced energy sources or forms of storage of energy, energy generation—they're out there. Um, they are out there, and, and many of them are public. I'm sure. Maybe there's ones that aren't. It's—it's it's, you know you kind of delve into the world of, of maybe conspiracy, or which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But but you know it's it's very difficult to prove. Um, there's advanced energy sources out there. We see them used, um for instance, on, on um space projects, uh satellites, uh, not just satellites, probes that are going far off into space and whatnot. Some are solar p- powered. Other ones, you know, they've looked into things like nuclear energy sources and whatnot. In terms of nuclear energy, there's small modular reactors, SMRs, which are gaining popularity and, and they're improving designs, but they're not widespread. There's fusion energy out there. Um, they haven't really gotten to a point of being able to, um, create more energy than they put into a fusion system. They've created fusion energy, just not in a meaningful way because a meaningful way would be to, to create more energy than what's put in. Otherwise, it's not practical, obviously. Uh, so there's, there's, there is advanced forms of technology. I mean, what we use a lot of times for, for energy production, I mean, it, it amounts to a turbine usually being spun by some sort of kinetic energy. Um, in the case of solar uh, solar energy, that's that's converted into a, an electric, you know, current. So it's not really with a generator, um, or or you know, water using gravity and water water moving downhill through a dam, hydroelectric power, or the many ways that you can essentially boil water and turn a generator using oil, coal, natural gas, uh, nuclear power. And and so to, to sort of answer his comment, I I agree with Steve that there's not a there's it is an energy tooth fairy it doesn't exist out there. I think you know there are things out there. There's technologies out there that I'm sure humans will will discover in the future. Whether it's improved fusion technology, I'm partial personally. I'm partial to uh, nuclear energy. I think nuclear energy could help us help some countries those that invest in it um avoid some of the downside of the, the coming energy cliff but the problem with with nuclear energy is that it simply hasn't been scaled up to to nearly to the point that it needs to be and it has its downsides too you gotta you gotta mine uranium um uranium waste isn't a huge concern of mine i think if anything that's something we'll use in the future they're they're looking at more technology but but again it's not there and 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 I think nuclear energy is, you know, from an investment standpoint, uranium and and uranium miners. Personally, I'm partial to that. But I also get what, what Steve is saying. I don't think he's wrong in saying that there just hasn't, it's just not there. He's, he's not as partial to uranium, but but personally, I think even if it, even if it was, you know, a fix, it it hasn't been scaled. The investments haven't been made into uranium necessary to um, alleviate uh, the, you know, the coming energy cliff or to, to avoid it altogether. Uh, there's some countries that are making investments. You look at China. Uh, they have plans to bring on a ton of reactors in the coming decade. And, you know, without some of the regulations and maybe some of the the pushback from their citizens, which, you know, it's, it's the CCP. They're, they're not going to care about that anyways. Maybe that'll happen. But it's not happening in Europe to the extent it needs to. It's not happening in the United States or most other developed or even undeveloped um, nations, right? So the energy tooth fairy isn't, isn't likely going to, uh, help us avoid the coming energy cliff. I think Steve's spot on on that. Now, with that being said, like I said, Steve's a smart guy. I like what he has to say on the energy cliff. That's why I invite him on. But that doesn't mean I always see eye to eye with him. And I want to take some time to talk about that, how my own view on things and, and how the energy cliff, um, plays into that. Now, I, I do believe that the energy cliff falling EROI in the coming decade plus uh, because of a shift to green energy, which is pretty expensive, because of, um, you know, falling amounts of, of uh, cheap, cheapish oil. Steve pointed out it's gotten a lot more expensive, but, you know, oil oftentimes from the Middle East, oftentimes non-shale oil. As as that has has um, certainly not kept up with with global demand for oil, and more and more we're seeing it produced from shale, and uh, you, I think you you have to add inflation overall into the um, conversation as well, just an overall monetary inflation. Then then yes, I think you know that that falling EROI this energy cliff is very pertinent. To, I, I think it's one of those things that, that I think is going to be one of the biggest factors in the coming decade in our, in our world today. A falling EROI is extremely damaging to, to any empire, to any economy, to any global system. I think a great example that he's brought up time and time again is, is wood and, and, um, and past empires, including the, the Roman Empire, right? As they, um, lost access to cheap wood, which was kind of the, the, their fossil fuel of the day essentially. They didn't use oil and, and other fossil fuels to that extent, and, and certainly not really for energy much. Um once that took a greater and greater amount of investment to, you know, get that wood, cut it down, bring it to population centers, um, use it to heat, to cook, to, to smelt metals and whatnot. Um uh, once you you know, once that falls, then yeah, that's gonna have a detrimental effect on the Roman Empire. And even to bring this back to the idea of the the energy tooth fairy you know the energy tooth fairy was out there for the romans right it was it was uh it was fossil fuels right it's just that the roman empire collapsed hundreds of years before before that was found many empires collapsed before that uh tooth fairy was was ever discovered um but before fossil fuels uh coal and then oil natural gas were actually used And harnessed, um, at scale for energy, right? And so, I mean, that's a good, good comparison to today. You know, maybe in the 21st century, we, we can move through technology faster than, than maybe it needing to take hundreds and hundreds of years. But, uh, but it's out there, maybe. But, but bringing it back to, to what he's talking there about the trees and, 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 you know, as more and more forests are chopped down and, and, it takes a greater and greater investment to to find new, you know, I guess you call them old growth forests, uh, then yeah, that's gonna have a detrimental effect on the economy. And I think the same is true for our economy today, that as, you know, we shift more and more to shale oil, as natural gas and, and coal become more expensive as more and more investments are made in expensive forms of of energy, um including some of those like shale oil, but also green energy, um, huge, huge solar power and and wind power initiatives, then that's going to have a detrimental effect on our economy. Make no mistake. Um, You know, the idea that, well, uh, if we just make it cheaper by subsidizing it, um, cheaper, uh, you know, subsidizing solar power, subsidizing wind energy at some, you know, somewhere along the way that that cost still has to be invested, whether it's through the uh, U.S. government, or what, whatever government, China building huge, huge uh, solar fields with with their own money. I mean, that investment still has to be made. There's still a cost that's associated with that energy, and it's a sizable cost. It's one thing for, let's say, China to intervene intervene in their local, you know, regional steel markets or something like that. But energy is is really the basis of of everything. Energy and time is the basis of every, um, every bit of value we have in today's world right and it's been that, that way that way you know for thousands of years and so uh, even even if you subsidize energy green energy it's there's still a cost associated with that and it's expensive and it's complex and it's not scalable with today's technology solar energy has improved but it's still extremely expensive and, and it's extremely complex and wind power I think is is um, is is even less scalable than that. Uh, in fact, somebody had a picture of us on on Twitter yesterday. They they had a big cable, um, a slice of a cable, a cross section of a huge undersea ta- um, cable. Now somebody pointed out it may be for communications, and that might be the case. But somebody else pointed out that hey, this is basically the same as 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 what you use for a um, for a power cable for a, a water turbine off you know, offshore, but probably pretty similar to ones we would find underground as well. And this thing is huge, and and the stat was uh, I think it was fifty kilograms of copper per uh, per meter of 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 cable. That's huge, right? And that's just the cable itself. Never mind the investment for the 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 those huge massive turbines. So, anyways, I'm rambling here. It's it's important to understand this energy cliff concept, though. With that being said, I don't think it's the be all end all of the coming next 10, 10 years. I don't think that some of the other things we're witnessing today, whether it be demographics, fiscal policy, monetary policy, are solely a result of a falling EROI or anticipation of an energy cliff or compensation for an coming energy cliff. Um, I, I think that those can all influence each other. For example, really, really uh, dovish monetary policy, accommodative monetary policy can help uh, something like shale oil way outlive its usefulness. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think we, we have to be real about, um, today's fiscal and, and monetary policy. And, and hey, there's comparisons to be made for the Roman Empire too. I, but, but when it comes to our monetary policy and our fiscal policy, I think that it is not simply a product of a falling EROI, but it's a product of, um, increased indebtedness, you know, higher and higher leverage, more and more credit growth across the economy, U.S. economy, the global economy. Um, I, I think it's a result of um, society um, it, it essentially demanding politicians, central bankers, et cetera, uh, demanding that they, um, you know, prevent any sort of economic decline or decline in those measures of, of credit and whatnot. And, and that's what I've said. I don't want to give central bankers or governments a, an out on this, but, but it is the public in many ways that have demanded this and have expected that every time the stock market crashes, every time unemployment jumps up, that central banks and governments step in, not just in a little way, but in a big way, in an increasingly large way to you know, prevent any crisis, and that's why I've said for years. You know, the Fed is is it seems to be it seems to be really determined to to replace sort of the boom bust, the, the business cycle, with with kind of a never ending credit cycle. Now that that ends in inflation, that ends in you know in in other ways, sometimes um, economic or financial um, oppression. But, but it doesn't end well. And it is partly a product of society. It's partly a product of, of government and central banking. This idea that we're just going to, you know, kick the can down the road. We're going to pick what's most expedient versus what's, you know, what's most expedient over the short term versus what's most prudent over the long term. We've seen this trend play out time and time again. And I don't chalk that all up to just this ERLY concept. And that's why, you know, looking into the next decade, I think it's going to be an inflationary decade. Um, much like some of the inflation that we've already seen thus far in twenty twenty one, which which many people didn't expect. Um, I think in the next decade we're gonna to continue to see this high inflation, partly because central bankers and governments can't you know, take their foot off the gas. This this pedal, which is whether they want to admit it or not, is an inflationary pedal of spending and money printing and and easing. They can't take their foot off the gas. Lest they, they, uh, you know, allow that never ending credit bubble to, to end. Um, and, and bubble of liquidity and, and, and debt growth and whatnot. Mm-hmm. They, they can't do that. They can't raise rates. And, and so they're kind of their only hope is, you know, that there's going to be something else, some other deflationary factor, um, that comes in. And, and I think it's not going to be energy. I mean, like uh, energy uh, rising EROI, I think is going to be hugely inflationary almost across the board if every you know if energy costs more then then everything's going to cost more if you have to invest more to extract a given unit of energy then everything is going to cost more. Commodity prices are going to go up. Energy prices are going to go up, obviously. Um, but as will wages, as will prices, and consumer goods, and houses, and and maybe stocks. Maybe you know, uh, maybe maybe the the one exception eventually would be you know debt, especially government bonds. But but probably debt across the board. You're going to see those prices go down and yields go up. But otherwise, you know, everything else is going to rise. And, and that's really how I see it kind of play into this. It's it's a broader picture. Of of uh, changing societies, um, demographics certainly play a role in this as well, and and I think they can play an inflationary role as opposed to what many people believe. You know, an aging demographics uh, uh, um, a deflationary um, factor. I, I don't think that's necessarily the case, um, but demographics certainly play a role. You have society expecting a never ending boom. You have huge amounts of speculation and, and huge valuations much higher than they should be in, in the real estate market, the stock market, um, almost across the board, undervaluation in many you know, energy markets and, and commodities. And, and I think the ROI is maybe just the backdrop, part of the backdrop for that, right? It's part of the inflationary backdrop. But you have to, I think, you have to also take into account the really unprecedented, unprecedented, Monetary policy and fiscal policy that we've seen here in the United States, um, that we've seen from from other central banks around the world. Um, you, you cannot deny that. In fact, I think I was I was looking at something. It's so easy to focus on the 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 Fed and and their balance sheet uh, expansion just since uh, you know the spring of 2020. Um, but you look at uh let's see here as I. Was, I, was, I I was replying to a tweet yesterday, I think, or day before, um, yeah, the day before. On uh, this was from Wall Street Silver, just sharing a chart of of the uh, ECB balance sheet, and, and wow, they were sitting between forty, you know, forty five hundred and and five thousand billion euros on their balance sheet heading into the coronavirus crisis, and and here they are now in in November, almost at eighty five hundred. Right? That's almost a, that's very, very similar to what the Fed has been doing. Difference being that they weren't able to taper to the same extent. They did, they were able to, to reduce their balance sheet um, earlier in the decade, but they were not able to prior to the coronavirus um, pandemic. Uh, they had just kind of finished some of their QE before having to, to print a ton of money. Um, but, but, and, and, and by the way, this actually, they'd also tweeted out uh, German PPI 18%, Spain, 31%. I think the US PPI is like in the highest single digits. So just put that in perspective. I saw the, um, the Italian PPI. I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but, but pretty significantly high. Um, that is double digits. I think maybe in the 20s or 30%, something like that. Um, uh, but, uh, but we're going to continue to see. I mean, this is unprecedented. And I don't think we can chalk it all up to being a product of the EROI, nor should we ignore it and say that, well, the collapse of the dollar or the collapse of the U.S. economy falls solely in the shoulders of EROI. It's a big part of the picture. That's how I view it. Right? Um, just like I'm not going to, you know, when I look at silver and say, well, where's silver going? I'm not going to put it all on the basis of technicals. I'm not going to put it all on the basis of seasonality or comparing the the amount of, here's the one I see a lot, the price of silver or or gold, uh, you know, the yearly production or something like that, compared to the amount of debt that the U.S. took on that year. I'm not going to use that as a sole method of valuation. Um, There's merit to it to be part of the method of valuation, but you have to take into account some of these broader matters. So... I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. It, it's a bit rambling, I understand, but I wanted to kind of lay some of my views out on where I view this energy cliff as being not the it's not the be all end all, but but it's got to be an important piece of the backdrop of where we're heading in the next next decade, and maybe most importantly, it's it's a it's a key point that so many people uh, ignore or are more often uh, entirely ignorant of. They they simply don't know that it's a problem. Period. Ask your average person on the street, ask them about inflation, ask them about central banks, you know, you're going to get some responses from some of them on that. Talk about an energy cliff on ERLI, rising energy prices, they're going to think you're talking about, you know, higher gas prices, when in reality, we're talking about something much, much deeper and with greater ramifications than just that. So as always, I'd like to thank every one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning into today's podcast and God bless.